harvest record for quickest testimony. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. I've been notified that um, there are, after worship service, rice cakes uh, from the Joshua Foundation. Um, <clears throat> so please make sure that you grab some uh, before you leave. Uh, this week, as you know, as you uh, have probably heard, we were able to host about 40, 45 pastors uh, for a pastor's conference, pastors from our denomination. And um, again, for those of you who served in any way, whether it be in, in driving people to and from the airport, uh, providing food, uh, making gift bags, um, buying stuff, whatever it is that you did, um, thank you so much. Um, really, really uh, spoke loudly and proudly and clearly as to what the church uh, ought to be like uh, to those who are gathered. So thank you uh, so much. Many, 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 many highlights, um, many things that were shown up on evaluations. But one of the things that seemed to be uh, one of the major uh, sticking points for people was during one lunch, um, people were able to eat the famed wings of Winter Garden. <laughs> so uh, people were talking about that for a long time. There's a group that had come from Seattle, and um, there's a, a group text that I'm on, and they're like, you know, I just hope that we can eat some wings of Winter Garden and all of this stuff. And so... Uh, on one of these days, wings were provided. There's about 250 of them, and there's about maybe 250 wings, about 40 people. And so um, being the gracious host that I am, I allowed everyone to eat first. I was just making sure that everybody was all situated. And, and so I came at the end, and there was uh, one guy. He'd, he'd eaten already. I saw him come out, of the, come out of the eating room, and he went back in line, got a new plate, and uh, there was about 40 wings left, okay? About 40 wings, teriyaki, medium honey garlic. I wanted to get some so that I could sit at my table with my family and eat. But this fella got in front of me, and uh, he started, picked up the tongs and, and put some wings on his plate, and he saw me behind him, and he said, oh, hi, Pastor DL. I said, hey, how are you doing? He's like, good, as he proceeded to put more wings on his plate. I said, I'm doing great. How are you? He's like, oh, these wings. Everyone at my church told me how amazing they are, and I'm so glad that I could finally taste them. It's like, I'm, I'm glad that you like them. I really like them too. And he keeps like taking more and more. And he says, I, I really have never tasted wings like this before. I said, yeah, I can tell. And he said, I not only like the teriyaki ones, I like these other ones too. I said, yeah, you know, that's great. I'm, I'm really happy. And he's like, I'm like, at, well, at some point you got to stop. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, how many wings can you possibly eat? Okay. There's 40 in there. He had probably taken about half of them, and he's still going. And he's like, oh, man, I can't stop. And I said, I realize that you can't stop. So I'm waiting for you to stop. And he keeps like, putting them on, and he's like, thank you for hosting this conference. I'm thinking the, more, the longer I talk, the more he's going to take. So I said, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and then he looked like he's going to put the tongs down. And he's like, ah, just a couple more. So I'm thinking, what kind of a pastor is going to take 75% of the remaining wings. He had like 30 on his plate. These are the thoughts that are going through my mind. Are you really a pastor? This is not the last chicken in America. What are, what are you doing? And by the time I, I got there, he was about to leave. He put the tongs. He said, here, here's the tongs. There were about 10 out of the 40 left. And this is what he said. He must have read my mind. Because he didn't say, here, you can have these wings. He didn't apologize. He didn't say, you know what? I took too many here. You can have some back. He looked at me and he said, 
Pastor D.L., please don't judge me. <laughs> because these are for my whole table. I was like, ah, oh, stink. <laughs> because I had judged him. I had judged him badly. And I judged him on the same week that I'm preaching a sermon about do not judge. <laughs> but we do this all the time, though. And it happen all the time. We're always making judgments about people all the time, whether we knowingly do it or not. Jesus knows it's important. This is why this is the stuff of life in the real world. And so what does Jesus say? about this hideous beast called judging, and how do we slay the dragon? How do we overcome this temptation to judge? Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. As we talk about, what does Jesus mean? You know, Christians say all the time, you shouldn't judge. People tell Christians all the time, you shouldn't judge. But what did Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? We're going to read Matthew 7, 1 through 6. We're going to see what Jesus, our Savior, uh, teaches us. Not just people of the world, but he's talking to believers, people who have put their trust in him, those who are part of the kingdom. And this is what he says. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me, let me take that speck out of your eye. When all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet. And then turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word. But what does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? Because here's, here's the reality. Every day we're making judgments, and we're receiving judgments from people, right? We make judgments, or we receive judgments. We get judged based on things like what we wear, what we eat, what we look like, the color of our hair, the education that we have, the places that we work, People judge us based on these labels, based on these titles, based on these things that they seemingly know about us. And we do the same thing also. But we also make all kinds of value-based judgments also. If you're an employer and you're hiring people, isn't there a sense in which you need to make judgments based on someone's resume? And as you choose friends to hang out with, isn't there a Isn't there a place for, hmm, I shouldn't hang out with this person. I should hang out with this person. What does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? The first thing that I want to point out from this text is that you cannot turn a blind eye to sin. What does it mean when he says, don't judge? He he says, it does not mean that you can turn a blind eye to sin. Okay, first thought here is you can't turn a blind eye to sin. What does that mean? No, Jesus isn't saying, like many people today say, hey, just be politically correct. I don't call sin, sin. What the Bible says is sin. There's certain things that are clear. Sins like abortion, things like murder, all kinds of things that the Bible considers wrong, lying, cheating, stealing, all of that stuff. He says, you have to call a spade a spade. You cannot turn a blind eye to sin. If it's sinful in Scripture, 
right? You have to call that out. That's, Jesus is not saying, let's be politically correct. Let's be tolerant of everybody else. He's not saying that. You have to make a judgment between what is right and what is wrong. Okay? This is what he's saying. He, so in, in verse 6, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. What is he saying? He's giving this kind of like a funny picture of something that we may or may not do. Right? So dogs in those days were not like puppies that you can play with or uh, dogs that you train to do, you know, be a, a guard dog. But dogs in those days were not domesticated. They were like kind of wild coyotes. They were mean. They were awful. They were yucky. Nobody had a pet dog in those days. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, don't, you, you don't do this, do you? When, you, when we go to uh, Dominican Republic and Pastor Daniel says, we're going to go and we're going to share the gospel with people. You don't go to the dogs of the neighborhood, right? Oh, let's bring all the dogs together. Let's throw out some free food and, and the dogs, the coyotes, and these, these street animals are going to come and then I'm going to teach them the Bible. You don't do that. Who does that? That's silly. That's just foolish. Why? Because you don't give dogs what is sacred. You don't go out into the, you know, I heard there's coyotes back here, so be careful, but you don't go out there and throw out some ham and throw out some you know, T-bone steak and have the coyotes come and then, hey, open up your Bible, dogs, to uh, John chapter 7. You don't do that. Why? Because dogs don't understand that which is sacred. The same way he says, you got a pig. Okay, you got a pig. You raise it. You nurture it. You take care of it. You love it. Why? Because one day you're going to eat it. That's your pig. But he's saying, as much as you love that pig, you don't say, oh, my beautiful, dearly loved pig. Look what I bought you at K Jewelers. I bought you a pearl necklace. And you, you put that necklace on the pig. You don't do that. So when Jesus is talking in this language, people are saying, well, this is ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? And so Jesus is saying the reason why we don't do that is because if you do what's going to happen, they may trample you to, under their feet, uh, trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Then you have to be able to understand there's some people who can receive this kind of instruction and other people who cannot. And so in this context, when Jesus speaks about dogs and pigs, what is he talking about? He's talking about those people who are obstinate and stubborn and just defiantly unwilling to receive the teaching of Scripture because their hearts have become so jaded and so turned off that no matter how much you teach to them, they're not going to receive the message. He's saying the harvest is plentiful. There are tons of people who need the gospel. The workers are few. Don't spend all of your time with the dogs if they're not willing to appreciate the essence and the beauty and the worth of the pearls that you're trying to give to them. So what is he saying in context of judging? He's saying you have to make a distinction between right and wrong. When Jesus says, don't judge, he's not saying we become blind to that which is right and to that which is wrong. That's the first thing he's saying is you can't turn a blind eye to sin. You have to be able to discern. You have to be savvy and wise as you interact with people. This is what Jesus said. If that town doesn't receive what you have, the gospel, then wipe the dust off your feet and move on to the next place. This is what he's saying. You have to call out sin. So this week at our conference, um, one of the speakers, a friend of mine came and we took a picture together and he posted it onto Facebook. I said, I have a great time. It's my friend DL, the PCUSA pastors conference. 
posted about midnight one night. The next morning, 12 hours later, uh, there were comments, very mean comments, very critical comments, very condescending comments, comments like PCUSA, question mark, I don't understand. Things like you have sold out, you are an abandoner of the gospel. So let me set it in context for those of you who may be unfamiliar to our denomination. Our denomination, the Presbyterian Church, United States of America, has taken and made some decisions that have turned us toward, as a, in general, steered that ship towards a liberal direction. That doesn't mean that every single church in the PCUSA has become liberal, right? You know where we stand, you know where I stand. We are on the far conservative side, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians, Bible-believing church within this denomination, which as, as, a general, as a general consensus has taken a turn for the liberal in terms of things like biblical authority, scriptural authority, uh, same-sex marriage, uh, things like that. And so we stand on the other end where we are conservative, evangelical, gospel-centered, Bible-believing. But someone heard that my friend was at a PCUSA conference and called him out saying he's a heretic. Saying that your soul, I don't, I don't, I question your soul. I question who you are. And so there was this kind of language being thrown around. And they prefaced it by saying, we're saying this because we love you. And so we're asking that you would take this seriously. And so when this kind of internet vitriol started going around, we were talking about, and I thought it was a little bit comical that they don't understand the situation. And so my friend wrote back and said, gentlemen, thank you so much for your concern. Uh, however, this is a very conservative evangelical group of churches and pastors within the denomination, and I've come to serve alongside of them. Even if they were not, though, I would still faithfully and without compromise and with love preach the gospel wherever the Lord calls me to go. What was he saying? He's saying, thank you for your concern. You ought to and need to be concerned. That's not the problem. But the problem is that they made a judgment without knowing the whole story. In other words, what he was saying, the picture's worth a thousand words, and you didn't stop to hear a single one of the thousand words. That's what we do a lot of times, isn't it? We know that someone is in the wrong. Maybe. We see it. And we see them do something. The external action is wrong. And immediately, without hearing their side of the story, we begin to jump on that, and we begin to make value judgments in the name of love. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to help you. And so we have the idea right, but the way that we do it is sometimes very wrong. And so the first thing that Jesus means when he says don't judge is that you have to distinguish between right and wrong. You cannot turn a blind eye to sin. But the second thing that Jesus says is, is, is important here. The second thing that he says, and bear with me, is don't be a plank man. What? <laughs> don't, don't be a plank man. Let me explain. Jesus helps us to understand what he means and how we're supposed to call this out by hearkening back to imagery from Jesus' old life before he entered into his public ministry. Jesus was a carpenter, very familiar with woodworking and with sawing and wood and two-by-fours and planks and sawdust and all this stuff. And so he begins to teach about how 
we ought to make judgment using imagery that is familiar to the everyday carpenter. Now, I you know during Halloween, um, superheroes, all the, uh, as, as long as I've been alive, superheroes have always been one of the main costumes of choice for people during Halloween. Now, it's not just Halloween. Superheroes have moved into Hollywood as well. It seems like you cannot ever go to a movie theater without seeing a movie that is based upon a superhero these days. And I don't like superheroes. I don't like comic books very much, so there's not much for me to watch. But there's a lot for a lot of people to watch. Superman, Batman, Ant-Man. Are you kidding me? There's an Ant-Man. Did you know that? That's like a cheap ripoff of Spider-Man. So I thought, man, there's a man, there's a man for everything. So I went on and I, I Googled this. I said, superheroes who have man in their name. And Wikipedia pulled up this list just from DC Comics and Marvel Comics, the two major comic book competitors alone. There's like a molecule man. There's a mole man. There's a hit man, an impossible man. There's all kinds of men. So in the spirit of these comic book men, I decide I'm going to create my own. So here's mine. Plank Man. Okay, Plank Man. He's awesome. Plank Man, like all the other ones, wants to be everyone's hero. He wants to save the day. If anyone's in trouble, here comes Plank Man to the rescue. Right, somebody struggling with sin, Plank Man is going to come. He's going to take care of it. But the problem with Plank, he's so strong. He is so very strong. But the problem with Plank Man is that he thinks he's a force for good, but really he's a force for evil. He's constantly destroying the people that he wants to save. Why? I'll tell you why. Spider-Man gets his origins because he was bitten by a radioactive spider. Plank Man gets his name because he has a big old two-by-four coming out of his eye. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Actually, I didn't create this superhero. Jesus did. Plank Man. Can you imagine living with Plank Man? He can't really have any friends. Because as soon as he gets close to somebody, he pokes them in the face. As soon as he tries to eat with somebody, let's pray, he knocks them in the head and they're unconscious. He's like, what happened to them? He tries to brush somebody's teeth or help somebody with their floss, and he's like always knock running into people. And there's a trail of tears around Plank Man. He's like, dude, what happened? I'm just trying to help everybody out. Here I am to save the day. But Plank Man is just knocking people over wherever he goes. Jesus says, hey, y'all, don't be Plank Man. Why? What's his deal? Plank Man thinks that he can see problems, specks of sawdust in the eyes of people far, far away but he can never get close enough to them to really help them. So he thinks he's the moral police. He thinks he's a spiritual police. He's telling everyone what they need to do, but he can never get close enough to them to actually help them. Why? Because he's got a two-by-four lodged in his eye. Because he's so concerned about all the stuff that is wrong with other people that he cannot see the wrong that is in himself. He's constantly pointing fingers, oblivious to the fact that whenever he does, there are three fingers pointing back at him. Do you know any plank men in our church? Man, they're always looking at other people. 
Tell you what, if you thought of somebody before yourself, then you are plank man. Because you can easily see the plank in other people's eye, but you can't see it in your own. Jesus says, don't be plank man. You want to help other people out? You want to save the day? Yeah, you need to call out sin. You don't turn a blind eye to sin, but let me tell you how to do it. Jesus says, verse 5, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think in verse 5, we see the key word, the one singular key word to this whole passage. One word that makes all the difference. First. You want to do it? Right? You want to call out sin? You want to bring people out of their moral darkness? You want to help people see? First, there's something that you need to do. Anytime you want to learn how to do something, the order in which you do it is so vitally important. I talked to some single ladies who play with babies. They're playing with babies. Oh, look at their wrinkly legs. Oh, they smell so good. And, and then they look up and they say, oh, I want to have a baby. I want to have a baby. I can't wait to have babies. And I will always say, hey, 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 slow down. First, get married. Because if you don't get that order right, there's going to be a lot of problems. You want to learn how to drive a car? Okay, here's how you got to do it. First, Put the key in the ignition and turn out. And one of these Sundays recently, I was sitting, hanging out, talking with somebody in the patio in the, in the picnic area. And, and this, uh, our administrator comes running to me. And she's like, hey, uh, you know, DL, can you come and help me? My car won't start. So I'm walking in the car. I said, Jenny, you realize that I am the last person to be asking to help you with car problems. She said, Haha, but you're the only man here. So I said, all right. I walked over, and her kids were sitting in the car. They're, like, sweating to the oldies in there. And, and they're like, and I said, guys, uh, pray for me. I don't know what I'm doing, but pray for me. The car was in the ignition. I tried to turn it, and I said, uh, it's not working. And I looked, and this, is, this one thing I know, your car has to be in park before you try to start the car, and it was in reverse. I said, aha. I put it in reverse, and then I turned the key, and all of the girls were jumping up and t- down. Yay! And they're so happy. I said, thank you. Thank you. I took a bow and then I left. You have to understand, there's first things have to be first. When it comes to helping somebody with the sin in their own hearts, Jesus says, yeah, you can do that. You need to do that. But first, what does he say? Take the plank out of your own eye so that you could actually see clearly. Because when we don't, we can't see. And when you can't see, what do you do? You make assumptions. Begin to make assumptions about those people. Begin to make assumptions about that story. You begin creating your own narrative as to why that person is like that and why they haven't been coming to church and why they are so tired all the time and why they're not serving as a Bible study teacher and why they're not this and that. We begin to make up these stories and we begin to create our own negative assumptions in order that we might condemn them because we don't think they're worthy of our standards. 
Jesus is saying, listen, you cannot judge people if you've got a big old two by four in your eye. And a lot of times, that's what we do. Why is he always so angry? Why is he always so angry? Why is he always so down? And we begin to make all of these assumptions, begin to create these narratives in our own mind, in our own heart of why they're like that. And we begin to judge them. And Jesus says, listen, if you've got a plank in your eye, you cannot see clearly. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen if you've been living all of your life as plank man or plank woman, and one day somebody said, you know what? You could take that plank out of your eye. And they took the plank out of your eye. Oh, my goodness, how freeing would life be? I can see clearly now the plank is gone. Then you could finally actually begin to see somebody the way that God intended you to see them. And you won't judge. You won't jump to conclusions. You won't make false assumptions as to why they are doing the things that they're doing and why they are the way that they are. And don't we do this a lot? I, I, I do this when I think of my kids. Why are my kids doing that? And I begin to judge them, begin to make assumptions. Why are they doing that? And I begin to create my own narrative that spirals into this negativity that causes me to get angry at them, sometimes justified, but many times without justification. Jesus says, look at, look at the plank in your own eye. Take that out first. Why? Because you cannot beat sawdust out of somebody's eye. You have to gently blow it out. And in order to blow it out, you have to get close enough to them without hurting them. And you cannot do that if you've got a plank in your eye. You'll constantly be hurting them. Do you constantly hurt people around you? You think you're helping them out. But then you come to hear, Man, you know what? That person really hurt me. You have a puddle of tears around you everywhere you go because people are crying after you talk to them. You think the worst about people. Are people afraid to have conversations with you because they're afraid to be judged? Do people leave a conversation not feeling refreshed and uplifted and encouraged, but condemned and like they're not good enough? You do, Jesus is saying, maybe you need to go back and examine the plank in your own eye. Because here's the reality. When we ask God to search our hearts, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way of life everlasting. We begin to search our hearts and ask God to do that. God will show us the sin in our hearts. And as we begin to repent of our sin, Father, forgive me for judging her. Forgive me for judging her. As God begins to work in our hearts, as we repent and genuinely begin to receive the grace and the mercy of God, something begins to happen within us. And people begin to recognize, because here's a very important life principle. You and I will treat other people the way we think God is treating us. And if you have never experienced the mercy of God in your life, then you cannot possibly extend the mercy of God to other people. If you're constantly thinking, you know what? I'm morally superior to everybody else, therefore I can judge other people. 
right, then you need to go back and receive the mercy of God because God doesn't treat us as children of God with a heavy hand of justice, but with the gracious hand of mercy. Right, you'll know that your plank is beginning to remove, be removed from your eye when you can interact gently with other people. Right, the old southern preachers used to say, To young preachers, they would say, young man, it was always considered our privilege to weep with a man before we would correct a man. Can you weep over the person whose sin you want to correct? This is hard, isn't it? And I tell you what, it is impossible unless you have the grace of God at work in your life. Jesus saying, this is not for those outside of the kingdom. This is, this is for my people. And only when you've tasted this kind of grace can you extend this to other people. Right? You can't do it otherwise. And don't be a plank then. The last thing that we see, right, that sometimes the ones closest to us are the ones who hurt us the most. Sometimes the ones closest to us are the ones who hurt us the most. So Jesus is saying, listen, the rest of the world, they judge people all the time. They don't have the resources to do it any other way. They're constantly judging, always making assumptions. You know what? I didn't like the way she looked at me. Why is she mad at me? And you go tell people, you know what? That girl's mad at me. She's so mad at me. I don't know why she's mad at me. How do you know she's mad at you? Because. Saw the way that she looked at me. Wasn't that just an assumption? Well, I've got women's intuition. Can I tell you how many times I've talked to women whose intuition was off? Why don't you, instead of assuming, because you know what happens when we assume, instead of assuming, you go and you talk to them. Yeah, maybe talk to them and have a relationship. Jesus says it's the most important thing in life. And as Christians, we understand this better than other people. Instead of assuming, we relate to people. We talk to them. We have conversation. Jesus says, listen, people in the world, they'll judge all they want, but it's different with you, people of God. It's different with you. I don't think there's a single person in here who hears that and doesn't think, you know what? Can I tell you how many times I've been hurt by people within the church? I don't doubt that. That's my story too. That's all of our stories. Here's the reality. Sometimes those closest to us are the ones that hurt us the most. Jesus saying, listen, listen, okay? I get it. I get it. That's why when Jesus talks about this, do not judge, three times in the first five verses, in in verses three, four, and five, he doesn't say when you judge your neighbor, when you judge your friend, when you judge someone, the language that he uses when you judge a brother I understand, guys. I understand that the family of God is oftentimes a context in which the wounds go deepest. He says, I get it. I understand that. You know it. I know it. We all know it. In fact, I I got a message from someone recently uh, who, and I I asked permission to share this, young middle schooler, middle school sister, wrote in her journal, that I learned that no one in life is never, ever not going to judge you. For we are only human, and us humans with our sinful nature become judgmental. As a church, 
I felt as though we would not judge as much. But I found out that just because we're a church does not mean that we're not going to be judged, put down, or be hurt by other people's words or actions. Instead, church could be more brutal than this world can stand. That stinks. But I don't think she's alone in expressing that sentiment. Lord Jesus understands what it's like for you to miss your house church meeting and people begin to think, you know what, she hasn't been out for three weeks. You know what, I know she's been hanging out with that person recently. Person's a bad influence. She's probably going off the deep end, and I bet she's out getting drunk every night. I bet she doesn't even come to church. I bet she's not even a Christian. Where does that come from? That person, boy, they've been skipping church lately. That person, they fell into sin, and everybody knows about it. Man, they weren't even a believer, I bet. I bet they weren't even a Christian. Jesus says, think about this. What if there's more to the story than you know? What if that person has been on this spiritual renewal in the last three weeks? Something of Satan has kept them from coming. A broken car on the way to church. A sickness that left them in the emergency room, but you didn't care to reach out to them. Because all you were thinking was, wow, they're not here again. You don't know how many, when anyone falls into sin, we have no idea how hard they struggled before they gave into that sin. You have no idea how many arrows and demons the enemy threw at them in order to cause them to fall. We have no idea these things. But judgment runs deep oftentimes, doesn't it, within the people of God? We think that we're being the moral, I'm being plank man. The superhero is going to save the day. But really, we just cause more and more destruction and divisiveness within the body of Christ. Jesus says, I know, I understand. Because the people that hurt Jesus the most, not the Pharisees, though he railed against them the most, wasn't the religious leaders, though he often called out their sin. It was Peter, one who swore he would never do that to him. It was Judas who lived with him for three and a half years. Sometimes it's the ones who are closest to us that hurt us the most. And Jesus understands it. He says, because you understand it, now, okay, be part of the fix, not part of the problem. You get it? Think, I know this is the way it is. I know the way it, this is the way it is sometimes. But now that you know, now that you see, don't be part of the problem and go on judging people. It says be part of the solution. You go fix that by looking at the plank in your own eye and then being able to lovingly care for and pray for people who are falling into sin. So start with yourself. Before you point a finger, look in the mirror. It begins with us. Because when we judge what happens, he says in verse 5, this is what we're doing. He says, you hypocrite. 
The word hypocrite, I, I, you know this. Jesus talks, says this a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. It's someone who wears a mask. This is the word that was used in Greek theater. When an actor would go up and they would play a part, they would put on a mask. This word, hypocrites, hypocrites. This is what it means to be a hypocrite, someone who's putting on a mask. And when he says, you're judging people, you hypocrite. What is he saying? Who are we trying to, what are we trying to be? What are we acting like? He says, you're trying to act like God. You're trying to be the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-perfect judge of the universe, of all mankind. You're trying to be the judge. He says, how silly it is of us. Because as you judge others, you fall under the same judgment for yourself. Because you're not God. In fact, Jesus says, and throughout the Bible we hear, hey, there is a judgment coming. Hey, get this for all of us who are so great at judging. He says, judgment day is coming. Your final exam is coming. Our seminarians are in the midst of final exams and they're struggling. But one of the great things that a professor can do to help a student is to say, I'm going to tell you what's on the final exam. And so God says here, here's what's on your final exam. You will be judged based on every word that came out of your mouth. I'm going to fail this test already. We're going to be judged on every thought that we have ever thought. We're going to be judged on every action that we have ever committed, every motivation behind everything that we did. This here, I'll make it easy for you. I'm going to tell you what's on the final exam. Here you go. Here's your study guide. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? Who could stand under such a weighty judgment? But then there are some professors who say, you know what? There's a way that you could forego, that you could bypass, that you could pass the class without taking the final exam. How? Herein comes the good news of Jesus. Why was Jesus so hurt by the ones closest to him? Why did Judas betray him? Because Judas, without knowing the full knowledge of who Jesus was and the full knowledge of everything, made a judgment about Jesus. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. He's not the Savior. And he made a judgment and said, Jesus is worth 30 pieces of silver. The price for a slave who has been gored by a bull, basically chump change. That was a judgment that Judas made. And because of that judgment, Jesus was sentenced to be crucified. But what Judas didn't know the full picture, that God would use the judging of Judas to set up an even more cosmic kind of judgment, where on the cross, Jesus Christ would be judged not for his own sins, but for the sins of every careless thought, every careless word, every careless action, every wrong motivation. And on the cross, all of the sin of humanity would be thrown onto Jesus 
And all of God's wrath and judgment for sinful humanity would be poured out like a lightning bolt of concentrated wrath upon Jesus. Jesus was judged by Judas. He was hurt by those closest to him in order that he could be judged by the Father, in order that he could bring good news to us. That at the cross, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be treated. Jesus, who had no wrong thought, no wrong motive, no wrong action, no sin in him. That he says, I will take your punishment for you. I will be judged on your behalf. That if you believe in me, you could have the perfect blessing that comes as if you had never committed a single sin. If you have two choices, you could take that final exam yourself. You could take it yourself and you would be utterly destroyed in the fire of God's wrath. Or you could believe the good news that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish in the judgment fire of God, but will have eternal life. It's only, guys, when we understand that Jesus has taken our judgment for us, that on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, that we could dare to look into boldly, bravely, courageously the sin within our own lives, the plank in our own eye, take that out by the grace of God and then extend this kind of grace to other people because we will only treat people the way that we feel that God has treated us. And the more we understand his mercy, the more we'll be able to extend that to other people as well. So Jesus says, don't judge. The world may do that, but it's different amongst us. Pray together. Guys, it's different within us. Would a watching world say that about your life? And would a watching world say that about our church? I know we've all experienced hurt. We've all experienced pain. The power of sin in our lives to hurt and to wound and the scar is great but the power of the gospel through the church to heal is infinitely greater guys it's different with us we are now part of the solution not part of the problem it's different with us why because we can dare to look at the plank in our own eye. What's the plank that keeps you from being able to lovingly care for people? Is there sin in our hearts? Is there pride within our hearts that keeps us from dealing with our own sin? Is there self-righteousness that thinks that we're so good? Is there a fear in thinking that if I see myself for who I really am, then I'm going to lose respect from other people. 
What is the plank in your eye that keeps you from being able to really love the way that God wants you and me to love? Is there a relationship that has been broken because of your judging? Hey, don't worry about their wrong, right? Yeah, they did wrong too, but you focus on yourself. How many relationships would be healed if instead of playing the blame game, we began to focus on taking the plank out of our own eye? It begins with us leaders. Let's start. Let's go to the mat. Let's go to the cross. Let's repent. Lord, heal me, cleanse me, forgive me. I remove the plank from my own eye. Not going to leave it up to them to do that. I need to do this. I need to change. I need to be humble. I need to receive grace so that I can extend grace deeply to other people. Let's pray. Can we pray for a couple moments? Really believe this. This is for you. It's not for anyone else. It's for you. It's for me. It's not for anyone else. This is for me too. I need to repent. I need to remove plagues. Let's do that. Let's spend a few moments in prayer right now. Really allow God to work in us, to change us, so that we can then take a step of faith in building bridges, not burning them, in repairing and restoring, not rejecting relationships. Let's do that together. Let's go. if there is a person a relationship within our church within the family Jesus isn't surprised by it I'm not surprised by it but it doesn't need to stay that way relationship that has been damaging that has been hurting I shared this several weeks ago but one pastor said if two people come to me with an issue, I ask them to pray for one another. He said, I have never seen two people kneel together who did not rise together in embrace. You've got an issue with somebody. And let's pray for them right now. Lovingly pray for them. Loving prayers, not prayers for them to, Lord, help them to see it. Convict them of their wrong. No, praying for blessing, for love in our lives. This is for you right now, not for them. As you begin to pray, honestly, lovingly, your heart will change. And pray for them, blessing over their heart. And let's let our faith make a difference. And let's live as disciples. We're followers of Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our master. So his words drive and direct our lives. Let's pray for people who have hurt us, who may have wronged us. Let's pray for them with an honest and sincere prayer of love, blessing them, honoring them, loving them as fellow human beings dearly loved by God. Let's pray 
for a minute for them right now. Pray for them, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll continue to worship. Father in heaven, we understand that it is so easy for us to hear a message and think of someone who really needs to hear that. So easy for us to hear a message, be moved in our own hearts and say, that's really good. So easy for us to hear a message, say, this is something that we as a church need to hear and do nothing about. Father, remind us that the blessedness comes not because we know it. The blessedness comes because we live in obedience. So, Father, all of us, beginning with me, would you convict us to make a decision to go to those whom we have judged to ask for grace, forgiveness, taking the plank out of our own eye in order that there might be a revival, a harvest of healed relationships through our church, in our church, so that we could show the world what Jesus, you said. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not tolerate, not just am okay with, but love. So teach us. Thank you so much. We can love you, and the sign that we love you is that we love one another. And that also we can only do because you've loved us first. We thank you. We surrender to you. Take all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.